Hi, I'm Marshall Crenshaw, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away hey everybody welcome to rock solid the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic i'm pat francis and joining me in the zoom room promote the re-release of his 1999 album number 447 please welcome singer songwriter marshall crenshaw how you doing marshall just great happy uh wednesday to you happy wednesday where are you right now where am i talking to you i'm sitting in my kitchen at home and the laundry room is over there i can hear the dryer in the background i don't know about you but i'm home and uh, i live in Upstate New York. I'm in a town called Rhinebeck. So you you're know getting, the area at all? Where are you? I'm I'm in Southern California. Oh, okay, okay. I'm so, like two hours north two hours north of New York City. So how's the weather there right now? You getting snow? Not much. There's you know like maybe an inch, two inches on the ground left over from a few days ago. It's a, like a mild winter so far. That's good. That's what you want. I guess if you got to have winter, I'm not a fan of it anymore. No, at no. my age, not, you know, I'd lost my taste for it a little while ago. Yeah. I lived here for 26 years now and, uh, formerly from Pennsylvania and then Chicago. So I don't miss it. At oh all. yeah. No. Now, Marshall, you might not remember, but you're, you were on my show back in 2013, uh, in person in studio city, California. Oh, oh. Well, yeah. uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't remember. What was, was that uh, about? It, we were, uh, I think we were discussing Jagged Land, uh, even though that had come out like four years prior. I think we were talking about the EP releases. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, thanks for your interest. <laughs> and and uh, it's then nice that, and now. It's nice to have you back. It was, uh, it was funny because at the time, I remember you showed, it was nighttime, you showed up. We were just we were recording in person in a in a small office space, and I think at that time you didn't quite know what was going on because podcasts really weren't as prevalent as they are now. You know, back oh, okay. in two thousand thirteen. But uh, was it was it you and another guy? Yes, I used to have a co-host. Uh, now I remember the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and you uh, you came in and you're like, okay, I guess this is I guess this is how it goes. But um, that was a great show, and uh, I thank you. That was episode eighty-three, and now we have over six hundred episodes. So, oh, wow, it's crazy! I know. So let's get into uh, the re-release of four four seven, one of my favorite Marshall Crenshaw albums. Oh, good. This, along <laughs> with uh, with the last one you re-released, Miracle Science. Those two have never left the rotation for me. I just, I just oh. think, I think they're fantastic. Well, thank you. I kind of put them, you know, in a exalted place amongst <laughs> my records. Honestly, you know, like now with all this uh, hindsight and 
perspective and everything like that, I, I do kind of favor those two that you named alongside of my first two Warner Brothers albums. I yep. think those are the real essential ones for me now. Yeah, these two felt like almost a rebirth for you. Uh, yeah, you could say that. They were, I, uh, I just, I mean, I've always liked your albums, but just the songwriting on these two just took me back to, like you said, to those first two albums. Well, I was just, you know, in a really good place and a really good frame of mind when I started doing uh, quote unquote studio albums for Razor and Tie. Uh, the studio was my this building behind my house mostly and then also uh, down in Nashville with some really close friends you know and uh, so it was a really good work situation I was in I was in a good headspace I could think clearly and uh, yeah that's you know that's what those two albums are they just reflect that moment in time for me and it was a good moment in time you know when you when you think back on this uh album 447 it's it's 23 years old that doesn't yeah. seem possible everything was a long time ago right i remember uh gilbert godfrey told this joke one time or just it was a one-liner or whatever he said i wonder if people back in the 14th century walked around saying this was a long time ago <laughs> So I don't know. Yeah, the the passage of time. It's just like, how about that, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so how did this reissue project start? You started with uh, Miracle of Science. There it is, holding it up. Yeah. Uh, how did this start? Did you uh, do you did you get do you own the masters now? The Razor and Tie masters. How does this work? Yeah, that's the answer. Um, you know, the lawyer who did the contract with them was really top notch and uh you know liked me and wanted to do good things for me that was pretty cool i didn't ask him to put the clause in the contract but he put this thing in that said after a certain period of time the stuff would belong to me and not to them not to razor and tie and that's what happened you know like about three years ago i reclaimed everything and uh you know i'm in this phase now where you could say I'm curating my legacy is what I'm doing. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I want the, I wanted this stuff. I wanted this stuff to be out there, especially the first two miracle of science and 447. I wanted them to be out in the, in the marketplace alongside of everything else. And uh, so I've just been kind of addressing that. And I made a licensing deal a couple of years back with uh, a label called Megaforce, which is a longstanding well-entrenched cool record company and uh so they're the distributor for these reissues of mine and uh when i got with them they said well now you you need your own imprint i'm like oh okay so i came up with one shiny tone records it's called <laughs> and uh i couldn't resist borrowing a label design from this legendary record label called roulette records that was around back in the 50s 60s 70s and 80s and i just made a little kind of joke out of that shiny tone records with the roulette records label design then that's my imprint yeah i mean shiny tone it sounds like a label that that's been around since the 50s it's perfect 
So, Ravel. <laughs> yeah. I've just got a lot of that iconography in my head, you know, that 50s rock and roll stuff. I still always go back to that as sort of like home base. And so, yeah, I thought Shiny Tone Records had a cool, cool ring to it, you know. Now, for uh, for 447, are, are these remastered or just repackaged and resequenced? Remastered, yeah, because two things. Uh, Greg Calby was the mastering engineer on my first album, and we just kind of stuck together from then on. And uh, he did the original mastering on number 447 when it came out, I guess, 1999. But he didn't have the those masters anymore that he created then. So it was necessary to do them again. And uh, also the albums are out on vinyl for the first time. Yes, they are. Really, yeah, there was really no such thing as vinyl in the 90s. Nope. Hardly. And nobody, you know. No one cared. It, yeah, no one wanted it, but uh, now we do. And so, you know, it was just, it was a good idea to just kind of take another look at the whole thing. I mean, it was necessary, but it maybe would have been a good idea anyway. But all I did, I just handed them the tapes again, the original tapes. They didn't need to be baked or anything. They just worked perfectly. And uh, and they were tapes, too. The, the album was um, tracked mostly on digital gear but when we did the mixes i had this tape machine called uh an ampex 350-2 which is kind of like the 57 cadillac of tape recorders and uh i loaded into loaded it into the back of an suv and drove down to nashville and we mixed this did the mixes onto that machine so it's they Mm -hmm. are actual tapes did you do the mixes for both of these albums at the same time, or did you do you handle them one one album at a time? Yeah, we, uh, we didn't we didn't do Miracle of Science and Four Forty Seven at the same time. Okay, they were a couple of years apart. Now, how do you say the actual title of the album? Is it because you just said you said Four Forty Seven, then you said Four Hundred and Forty Seven? What do you want me to call this album? Well, I just naturally called it number 447 because it's got the hashtag number sign yeah and uh you can say it however you want to say it but <laughs> and where's the title come from <laughs> well it's a joke it's sort of and it's me trying to come up with an album title and failing to think of one and finally just saying okay why don't i be like boston or chicago and just put a number on it. And then my next thought after that was what album of mine is this? <laughs> oh, it's my 447th album, you know, like a funny joke, private joke. That was it. And I, you know, why not? So instead of number eight, you went with number 447. I love it. I did. And then uh, the guy at Razor and Tie records uh, said, he's no, wait, I, I said, First, I said number 448. That's what I thought of first. Okay. And the guy at Razor and Tie said, well, what about 447? Because it's a prime number. that It can't be divided by any other number. And I'm like, okay, I don't okay, care <laughs> if, you, if you want to think of that title. But then it turns out he was wrong because 447 is divisible by a three, I think, or 13. or one. Of, it's so it's he's, not a prime number. Figures, record label guys wrong. 
go figure. He was wrong. Yeah. About, <laughs> about a number. See, when I saw the number, I always thought, I'm like, was well, that a, is that a hotel room number or is that a oh. number of a, is that a number of a studio? So, you know, if you don't know the inside joke, you can interpret it a couple of different ways. So I thought, yeah. maybe, is it a street address? Is it a mailbox? Who knows? But cool. That's a, yeah. That's interesting. A hotel room number. But uh, I wonder if as, I've ever had that one as your proper as your proper album. It's studio album number eight. And okay. uh, is vinyl your preferred way to listen to music? Yeah, I mean, I really do like to play records and I like the just the way they put energy out into a room. Uh, I don't know. It, maybe it's because of the age I am. That's what I grew up with or not. You know, I, 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 who can say? But uh yeah, I, if I buy any new music or old music, kind of, I tend to buy records. I buy them on eBay. I buy them at one of the, there's two great record stores on the same street in the next town over from me, which is Kingston, New York. And, uh, you know, I like the people in there and it's a good hang. So, yeah, I'm, I like, I like records. I like, LPs and 45s and they sound great too, you know, unless it's, unless it's a badly mastered one or it's scratched, but you know, if it's in nice shape and it's a well-made record, then they sound cool. Well, I'm glad that these two releases are finally getting uh, their vinyl debut. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let me talk about the uh, the opening track on this album is called Opening, and it's just yeah. a 49 second ditty, and it kind of sets the tone for what we're about to hear. And I, I thought that was cool. I like when you do stuff like this. Well, it's all about rock. We'll bring it right to your door. It's all about rock. We'll bring it right to your door. And then we're gonna eat. Just like we did Thanks. I mean, it was just an idea that popped into my head. Since I was just on my own, I could execute it immediately upon thinking of it, right? Yeah. I, I didn't have to put it on a demo and then run it by an A&R department first for their thumbs up or thumbs down. I just banged it out and recorded it right then and there as soon as I thought of it. Well, I started it, I should say, because... Uh, I think the first thing I did was I set up one microphone and then recorded the drums and then I put a guitar on it. And then I was doing this project at the time. It was the soundtrack to a PBS documentary about Yogi Berra. And I was writing a lot of instrumental music for that. 
And then I had a session for the, for that music where I had uh, Stephen Bernstein, a trumpet player, and Paul Shapiro, a sax player. They came in and did some stuff for the soundtrack. And then I, I asked Paul to just fill three tracks on the, the song we're talking about. I said, just blow your brains out for the whole tune, these three tracks. And uh, so that's on there. Just, he just really took it into a nice wild territory. And, uh, and then I've got this little edit in the middle, which is supposed to be like a joke about censorship. But anyway, <laughs> it just came together real fast. And that was one of the beauty parts of being just on my own. If I got an idea, I could just do it. Nobody was going to tell me not to. Razor and Tie didn't even have an A and R department, you know, like they didn't have one. So, so a, with Razor and Tie, you recorded the album, you turn it in, and that was it. No notes, no back to the drawing board. That was it. Yeah, on the first two, it was like that. It was I was like, here's the record, it's done, and that was you know okay. On the third one, they started to bug me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And say, oh, what about that? Because by that time, the label was starting to get bigger. Yeah. And they were signing more acts. And, it, you know, so mean, right about then, it was time to go from Razor and Tie. But uh, no, I, I liked working with them. It was it, it, the label, it might even still be in business, but it's these two guys who just decided that they didn't want to be attorneys and that they <laughs> would rather that they would rather own a record label. And they just went at it, and it was almost like a a lark. Like the first big success that they had was some kind of novelty record series. I can't remember what it was anymore. But then a few years later, they thought of this thing called Kids Bop, and they, oh god, you know, you know what I mean? Like oh my they, god, they did reissues. They did these crazy off the wall things that they knew would make money. Yeah. They they had artists like Angelique Kijo and myself and Dar Williams and so they, it was really eclectic, you know. They're the cool guys, Craig and Cliff. Even on what's in the what's in the bag is the, your third studio album for Razor and Tie. Yeah, the logo is even different. They changed their logo is a lot slicker on oh. that album. So yeah, they must have been getting a little bit more uh, popular or little more money wanted to change the image a little bit but uh uh yeah i love the i love the razor and tie logo on these two original ones okay so let's talk about dime a dozen guy i saw her sunday That is a total old timey phrase. Like no one says that now. No one was really saying that in 1999 either. What uh, did this song start 
from that phrase, from the title? No, not real, not at all, actually. Uh, but it, I think it came early on, though. But that was the thing where I, I had a writing a writing session. I, I, I've hardly ever done anything this way, but it was just like I went over to this guy's apartment. Dave Cantor, yeah, is his name, and uh, you know we didn't really know each other that well. He was a uh, we had a mutual friend named Richard Julian. But uh, Dave, Dave had a band back then called Dave's True Story and with a lot of interesting songwriting going on with Dave's True Story. So I thought, well, maybe he and I could do something. And uh, uh, so I drove over to his apartment. I was living in Brooklyn. He was in Man- Manhattan. And I think on the way over, I had WBGO on the radio. and I, I might have heard like a Latin jazz track or something. So I had a little bit of that thing going on in my mind and the way i remember it is that he just picked up his guitar and he strummed two chords d minor a7 and i just thought that's a good idea you know and that's where he just started it that way and then got got the whole piece of music together and then he was going to be like the designated lyric guy mostly but i i think i came up with the title just because it fit the melodic phrase that we had and i thought it had kind of an attention grabbing quality to it right so yeah is it is it awkward when you uh when you like had you ever met this guy in person before or not until he opened the door that day it's about it was about like that yeah and then but you know it was cool we talked and you know we both like i said we had this mutual friend and he was a good friend of both of ours so i just i and I knew that I liked Dave's work. And he, you know, he was shorter than I was. So I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't intimidated or I, I had confidence in the situation. You, I would think that you really have to have confidence when you're writing with someone who you just met because you have to not be afraid to put your idea out there. Like you can't be in your head like, oh, maybe this isn't good enough uh, or uh, maybe he won't like this. You just have to throw it out there, right? Yeah. And, you know, like I said before, I've hardly ever done that because I, I really don't like that situation. I work yeah. best in, in isolation, pretty much, I would say. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you've written with Glenn Burtnick uh, a song or two and you have, uh, you know, Two I Hear It From You, the song with uh, the Gin Blossoms. But yeah, for the most part, it's always just Marshall Crenshaw. Mostly, yeah. And, but I well, the, the thing with the gin blossoms, I, I actually was in the room with one of the guys. Okay. The guy that asked that, that asked me to collaborate with them was uh, Jesse Valenzuela, the guitar player. And he and I were in the room and put the music together. But then later on, uh, the singer of the band wrote the lyrics. And I think he, he wrote them at the recording session for the track, if I'm not mistaken. But Wow. So there was a little bit of both on that one. There was like separation or uh, whatever, you know, it was a social experience partly between two of us, but not all three of us. Whatever they've told me 
Now when I collaborate, we I do it with, you know, just through email. <laughs> right. Or, you know, that that's it works better. I, I just I can get my thoughts together better if I'm all by myself. Yeah. Well then you were uh, you were all set for songwriting during COVID, if that's the way you've been doing it. Yeah, yeah. you could say that. And I recorded these new tracks all by myself too, because there was no other way to do it. Uh, the bonus tracks, I guess we are we shifting over to those now or sure. We can talk about the two, uh, the two new tracks. Let me ask you this. Cause I don't have the, um, they sent me a stream of the album so I could listen to the new tracks, but I don't have any, I don't have any, uh, liner notes. So are these cover songs or are these original Marshall Crenshaw songs? These are, a little of both. They're brand new tracks, you know, that, and I hadn't recorded it. Sorry, I hadn't recorded anything new since 2016. This is the first time mm-hmm. since then. And it was really joyful to see that I could still do it. And uh, anyhow, uh, the way that the deal with uh, Megaforce is structured, I did another thing where I kind of tricked myself into having to make new recordings. I promised that there would be bonus tracks with each reissue and that they would be brand new. And uh, so uh, for these two, it's funny because I was, it was at the end of 2019, I realized that I was probably going to have this reissue coming out uh, soon. And uh, no, 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 that's wrong. I was on a plane. This was at the end of 2019. I was on a plane to go out to the West Coast and play some songs, to play some shows with the Smithereens, which is this other thing I do now. Right. And uh, and at that time, I had dates on the calendar, tour dates of, of my own, where I was going to go out with the Bottle Rockets, like I had done for 10 years previous. It was a yearly tradition. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, it'd be nice to have a, new song to play with those guys. And I just kind of got this beat in my head and I thought about, I'll put this drum break in so Mark can do this little drum solo thing. And that's when I put the music together for the one called Will of the Wind. That's the A side of the single that my, let me, let me catch up with myself here. That's when I came up with the initial idea for the, for Will of the Wind, which is one of the bonus tracks. Summer rain. 
Yeah, and then, then and Will of the Wind, that's a song you wrote. I co-wrote it with a guy named Greg Turner. He helped me finish the lyrics. Okay. But anyhow, as you know, like I said, it was the end of 2019 and almost, you know, very soon thereafter, the world shut down. All the tour dates got blown off the calendar. One of the guys in the Bottle Rockets decided that he liked lockdown and wanted to just stay home for the rest of his life, and which he's doing, I guess. So there was no more Bottle Rockets, no more tour dates, no more anything. And uh, but then I wanted to finish the song anyway. And, and you know, I've been at some point I thought, well, I, I'll record this for one of the bonus tracks of the Razor and Tie reissue that I got to do. And, and then so I uh, did. when you write these bonus tracks, are you in your head like these need to fit with the other songs on the record? Or aren't you worried about that? It's Marshall Crenshaw, no matter what. Yeah, no, I don't do any of that because you know when I, when I when I when you write a song, it's like you get this initial flash of inspiration, right? And you know, it's the best thing to do is just try to play that out and follow it through, and uh, just see what it's supposed to be or something. Let it become what it's supposed to be. That's what James Taylor says. He says, you know, people ask him sometimes what his songs are about. And he said, well, a song is really about itself. So. Right. I just got this idea and tried to actualize it. That, and you know, when you write a song, it, it sounds like it's music first and lyrics second. Right. Yeah. That's, that's always how I do it. And do you struggle with lyrics? So, yeah, sometimes I have. It's not my forte, although I take it really seriously. And sometimes I get lucky and do something great, get something great on the page. But, right. uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't think like a writer. I'm a guitar player. And I like to, my favorite part of the whole thing is making the track. You know, I write. I started writing songs in the first place so I could make records because that's what I love to do. And, uh, but if you don't have a good song, you can't make a good record. So that's how I come at it. So you say that you like to make records and yet we have not had a full length Marshall Crenshaw album since 2009. Oh, I guess not. So well, what, so why is that? Will we ever have an 11th Marshall Crenshaw album? You know, the thing is, I don't really think that albums are it for me. Like the way I listen to music, I, I hardly ever just sit and listen to a whole album myself. I, I remember when I was really in this period where I was like an intensive music, listening to music period like uh, back in the 70s I'd come home from my bar band gigs and go upstairs and you know grab like a little pile of albums and a little pile of singles and I would just play the singles and play individual tracks from the albums maybe not the whole I would always find like the three or four tracks on the album that I thought were the great ones and then just like forget the rest and just listen so, to I those mean, 
last time I made any new records, like a, a series of them, it was it was EPs, and uh, I think if I did it again, it would be something like that, you know. The yeah, the EP series was amazing. You did six EPs. It was like a new song, a cover song, a live song. Drinking red wine in the amber glow. Red wine with the candles low. It's getting late. The world's in a state. Drinking red wine. Got my head on straight. Your nerves unwind. And your breath slows down. Troubles to drown It's alright The end of the night Listening to the rain And a faraway train Drinking red wine Well, the clouds roll into day And I tried to stop Those were on vinyl And I have all of those I, I thought that was such a cool thing when you did that, you know, every, every couple months, here's the surprise in the mail. And yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even have a turntable at that point, but you did, uh, you huh. did put a digital download card would be in there too. And right. uh, just fantastic stuff during that period. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I, I liked it too. And I thought it was good, you know, uh, strategizing on my part yeah. to make, to make the project like that. Cause you know, was motivating and engaging for the whole time for me, you know? Yeah. If you put a, if you put a time limit on yourself, you know, you tell people, Hey, I'm going to do this. Then you have to do it. I know. Yeah, that's right. Even if it's a self-imposed deadline, you know, exactly. It's cool. To have it. Let's talk about uh, Santa Fe. The, the other bonus track on the album, is that a Marshall Crenshaw original? It's not. It was written by uh, the aforementioned Greg Turner. Okay. Greg, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, he had what the rock critics might call a seminal punk band. They were called the Angry Samoans. And uh, I met him through a mutual friend, a guy named Ron Spencer. Greg and Ron lived down the street from one another in Santa Fe. And uh, after the Angry Samoans, Greg eventually i guess got a like a phd in mathematics or something and was a professor he just retired from academia and uh his back songwriting and uh, ron gave me one of greg's solo cds and i just really loved it you know it had this first song on it was one called i dreamed i met lou reed really funny song santa fe was one of the tracks on the cd and i just I was driving across country when Ron gave me the the CD. I stopped and visited him in Santa Fe and I was headed back to the East Coast and I just played Greg's CD along the way, you know, and uh, that song Santa Fe really sunk into my mind and I decided back then that I wanted to cover it sometime. And so you did. I did and it's got, you know, the song has this very kind of I don't know. It's got a sort of a dark atmosphere to it. It's like the first part of it lyrically seems to be a breakup song. 
But then the second part, I don't even really know what it's about. It's like an arsonist or something crazy. <laughs> it's just a wild song, very kind of enig enigmatic song. And uh, I did the track at home. Like, like I said, it was locked down. I, I couldn't bring anybody else over or go to anybody else's studio or anything. So I did it mostly myself. And then the, there's a beautiful steel guitar on it from... Uh, a guy named Mike Near, N-E-E-R. And, uh, you know, that's it. That's the, the, the way this whole thing works is if you buy the vinyl of number 447, you get a 45 inside the album cover with Santa Fe on one side and Will of the Wind on the other side. That's cool. It is. Very you know? cool. And we're going to, you know, we're actually treating it like a new single. Like I, I actually hired a promo company to work it as a single starting at the beginning of February. So, yeah. And I want to say that the album comes out February 4th, but I think digitally, I think it's available right now on some yeah. platforms. Yeah. So you guys can go oh, listen now. You know, what else is crazy is that the via the vinyl is available and has been since like November, I think. Oh, it's avail is available before the CD. That's good. Yeah, I mean, the the rollout of this has really been kind of like make it up as we go along. But <laughs> anyway, the new single, the new single drops as a single beginning of February and the vinyl's already out there if you can figure out how to find it. And then the, uh, the CDs come out beginning of February and it's all just distributed by Megaforce. So if you have an issue with any of it, just take it up with Megaforce <laughs> and uh now, Megaforce, are they, I always thought that they were primarily like a, a heavy metal label. Am I wrong? No, that's sort of how they made their, uh, their, made their name. Okay. But now, you know, at this point in time, it's, it's, it's uh, eclectic. You know, they have like a jazz reissue thing that they do. And a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, so it's not, it's, it's not just metal anymore, but that's, yeah, I think their first big act was uh, Anthrax. Yeah, there you go. Uh, right? And yeah. then, uh, okay, yeah. So That's let me ask cool, you this. cool people. There's a little bit of resequencing with the record, too. You took TMD, which is Truly Madly Deeply, and you moved it from track nine up to track six. What's your thought process behind that? Oh, I did do that. Yeah, I, I, it's, I just thought it felt better. You know, because, you know, I had to think of side one and side two now. Oh, that's right, for the vinyl. Exactly, yeah. You know, when you do the CD, it's a different mindset. But oh, for the, okay. For the album, I, I just jiggered it around a little bit. Now it makes order. sense. All right. That's all it was, yeah. I watch you cross the street.
I've been interviewing some people lately and they were telling me like when they were on like a big label, like you were on Warner Brothers, um, that they would turn in an album and it would be handed back with and just like, no, like rejected flat out. Has that did that ever happen to you when you were on Warner Brothers Records in the big machine? Did you ever turn in a fully formed album and it was handed back to you? I say that I had an easier time of it maybe than somebody who <clears throat> was in that world later on after I was mm -hmm. because it seemed like the bigger and bigger it got, like the more corporate it became, you know? Yeah. But uh, like when I was signed to Warner brothers, it was early 1980s. The, you know, the seventies were still kind of lingering and uh, you know, Warner, I mean, Warner's was, you know, like, run by artistic people mostly you know like lenny warker was president of the label he was a great record producer right you know uh somebody with an artistic voice in his own right and uh you know they had they they just had a kind of an attitude that was a pro artist type attitude and that was cool but of course they were capitalists too at the same time but anyhow <laughs> i was with the i was the new york signing an east coast signing and when I walked into the situation, I had no idea that that was a good or bad thing. You know what I mean? Right. But it turned out that the East Coast was like the poor cousin at Warner Brothers. I just got told this like way later on. I didn't know. I don't know. Let me see. Uh, I did my first album for them, of course, and, and it was hard to do. Cause there were like really high expectations for it. We, we had just really blown up New York, gotten to uh, places where, you know, no unsigned band could get. I had two songs on WNEW, Robert Gordon's version of Someday, Someway, and my own independent single on Shake Records, Something's Gonna Happen. Right. They were both being played every day, all day long on, on this, on this big F mainstream FM rock station. So I like, we really, you know, we started out in New York at square one. And then by about a year and a half later, we were packing every club we played in, sell out Webster hall, all the press loved us. Every, you know, the record industry and the publishers, they were all, interested in us that all of that happened in a really short time very exciting very exciting so there were like really high expectations for the first album so it was really hard to make that one 
and make everybody happy with it. Uh, but we did it and we got it out. Then uh, I wound up making my second album really soon after the first. And that's like too long of a story to go into, but... <laughs> I, I finished, we finished that one and I just absolutely loved it. You know, like Steve Lillywhite produced it. He was the only producer I talked to. He's the first one, first and only one that I talked to. We did that album and the people in Burbank didn't get it at all, you know? And they said, well, you know, what about this? And why don't you do that? And I told my New York A&R person, forget it. I'm not doing any of the things that they want me to do <laughs> <laughs> and then you know that wasn't exactly smart of me but that's what happened with that right. but they put it out any they put it out anyway but i really had it was bad after that i, I was really done af after that with warners and uh i asked to be dropped from the roster i asked really politely and i thought i made a good argument as to why they should do it but they didn't want to and so i made three more albums for, for them yes you did Yep. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the second album is Field Day, and that also got a vinyl release just a couple years back. Oh, yeah. A really nice one, too. Yes, a really nice one. Gatefold, the whole deal. And uh, Yeah. And I forget the label that did that. Well, I remember it was uh, Intervention, right? Intervention, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, like like an audiophile vinyl yep. reissue label. Yeah, they've done oh, some Joe so, Jackson so albums. Yeah. yeah, when I when I heard they were doing it, I just was so happy that somebody was going to give some love to that album. Because, uh, you know, I got you might, you might remember, I just I got a ton of shit for that album i just think it was about two years ahead of its time is all is all that was wrong with it but i love that well, album no, yeah it's a it's an iconic album of that time period if you ask me it, well thanks that you i'm glad you like it <laughs> back to the debut album i personally love songs that are titled after a girl's name and i think that marianne is one of the best for me it's it never gets old. I, I could listen to that 
on a loop like a mental patient. Become a mental patient. Become a mental patient, but I just love it so much. Oh, well, great. I mean, I like it too. It's a nice song and the lyrics are good. Yeah. But uh, I never, you know, it wasn't really specifically written about anybody called Marianne, but just the the name that sounded like a song title or it could be one, you know? Yep. That's all. Lyric, the lyrics, I, I was thinking of this situation that a friend of mine was in where his girlfriend had married a friend of his. That's all the song is. It doesn't go into real into detail about any of that, but it's just like, you know, don't feel bad. Life is an absurdity sometimes. And that kind of thing, you know, is this reissue uh, project going to continue? Like, are you going to do what's in the bag next? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. We we didn't set a release schedule. Okay. When we when we started the whole thing, we just figured we'd do it by feel <clears throat> as we went along. So, uh, but the here's the here's the thing though. Uh, there's going to be a 40th anniversary reissue of my first album in November, and then a 40th anniversary. Crazy to say it, but anyway, a 40th anniversary. Uh, reissue of field day in uh, next year so that'll probably probably be it those two things will probably be it for a little while with reissues and these are in conjunction with warner brothers records obviously because they still own those albums no it's not because uh god bless the you know u.s copyright laws but i was able to claim the u.s copyrights to those recordings a couple of years ago oh great but this is i know it's, it's this is great news yeah so i made a distribution deal for those with uh or a licensing deal which is it but anyway i made some kind of deal for those with uh yep rock records which is i think is a good label oh yeah they released all the nick Lowe stuff they're an excellent label yeah so they're doing the uh reissue of 40th anniversary is- issue of my first album coming out in november is this a rock solid exclusive have you told anyone this before marshall <laughs> i told a few people okay. but uh it, you know uh now i'm telling you okay yeah. let me ask you this are you were you not happy with what's in the bag because you kind of grimaced when i asked if you were going to do that next i had to see for myself i had to show it to you among my sweetest of memories I see this place in more than a few yeah 
Cause this whole street seems haunted now And the atmosphere is still and strange You know what? I do like that album. Okay. The, if, I'm, I'm like real. I've really just personalized the whole thing at this point. The ones I said that I thought were the best ones. Yeah. Those are the ones that have the like the nicest memories for me. Okay, that makes sense. And some of and some of them have like not nice memories associated with them. So I kind of put those over there, you know, in that corner. The ones I named, you know, my first two Warner's albums and my first two Razor and Tie studio albums. I just, you know, love thinking back to those particular time periods in my life. How do you feel about Mary Jean and Nine Others? Because when that album came out, I was working at a record store and I played that as much as possible because we we got to rotate. The employees got to rotate what they could play. And I... Uh Put Mary Jean and nine others on all the time. She came into my life like a bombshell. One look and I fell for little Mary Jean. Mary Jean, Mary Jean. She walked cool with her head, always held high. The glow in her eyes made her look like a queen, a little queen. Mary Jean. Yeah, I, I know that is a pretty nice record. Thank you. And uh, you know, I haven't listened to it in a while, but it just has a cloud over it. My my third, fourth, and fifth Warner Brothers albums in my mind, they, there's like a cloud over them. And uh, to put it in other terms, uh, when I when I see my royalty statement from Warner's, I see that the first two are still selling. Uh-huh and uh, are in the black and the third, fourth and fifth, the ones that I didn't want to make are like this giant pile of red ink. So I just have a kind of a negative <laughs> attitude about it, but I should, I, you know, I'll get over it. Cause I did, I, I put my whole heart into those records. Yeah. Just like I did every other record I made, you know, but it was just the circumstances were funny. Uh, I don't know. I shouldn't say any of that out loud, I guess. <laughs> I think, well, look, I think, I think you have a, a solid 10 album catalog. I really do. Like, I think, I think all the albums are, are, should be listened to, should be looked for and found and listened to. So I'm glad that you're getting to reissue your first two Razor and Tie and your first two Warner Brothers. That makes me happy as a fan. Great. Me- and there's bonus tracks with all of them that you, that haven't been out before. Cool. See, I'm plugging. I'm plugging this stuff. You're you're pre-plugging, and uh, <laughs> Marshall Crenshaw fans are going to buy this up no matter what. 
but yeah, well, let's get the new listeners. Bonus tracks on Miracle of Science were What the Hell I Got and Misty Dreamer. And these were both songs that uh, that you didn't write. That's right. Yeah. But also um, great songs. I thought so. Yeah, for sure. The old favorites. Uh, what the Hell I Got was uh, a thing from Top 40 Radio back in the early 70s. something to me all the time too much and always stone i'm drinking baby drinking all alone don't know what the hell i've got whatever it is it's an awful lie yeah i'm gonna lose control from my living to my very soul I grew up in a in a in the Detroit area, and the big top forty station in the early seventies was a Canadian station over in Windsor, Ontario. So they had to play a lot of Canadian records, and I mean they had to. It was like the law. <laughs> it is <laughs> so the I law. Heard a lot of, is the law right? Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah, it really not? is. And, yeah. So what the hell I got is a song by a, a Canadian artist named Michelle Pagliaro. And I, you know, I just love the record then and still his record. And I like, you know, so I did a track of it. And uh, Misty Dreamer is a song by a Scottish singer songwriter named Daniel Wiley. And uh, I like his stuff a lot too. So. Misty Dreamer, Misty Dreamer, dream your life away. But now, you know, if I do any more of this stuff, I'm going to write this stuff. I'm not going to cop out anymore. I'm actually, I'm actually going to make myself write songs. <laughs> Next well, time, I'm going to make a record. We would love it. We would love to hear new Marshall Crenshaw music. I also want to tell people, if you go to like iTunes and you just type in Marshall Crenshaw's name in the iTunes music store, you have songs on many, many, many compilations like tribute albums and stuff. You've done a lot of that. So oh, if yeah. you're, if you're looking for some new music that you haven't heard, you it's out there, you can find it. Oh, Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of that, I did a track for another album that comes out at the beginning of February. It's a tribute to the something, anything album. 
by Todd Rundgren. Oh, which one did you do? I did one. Uh, couldn't I just tell you? I picked that one because when they asked me to do something, I could remember that one off the top of my head from when I sang it in a bar band back in the 70s. So I just thought, I already know it. Let me do that one. That, that so seemed, that's coming out soon. That seems like a perfect one for you to do. I think it came out really nice, uh, nicely. Uh, are, the, are the covers on that tribute album? Are you guys, was everyone doing like a straightforward cover or are you trying to change it up a bit? Well, I had to personalize it just because okay. if you're not going to do that, then why bother? But right. uh, first, first of all, I had to change the key because, you know, the track, if you know Todd's recording of it, he kind of screams it and it's yeah. right up at the top of his range. And uh, the, he played the drums. It sounds like he's drunk. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just did it myself like i didn't want to sing it up at the top of my range like that and scream it because he was 25 or something when he did that and i'm 68 so uh, you know i just did it like i would do it kind of some of the other tracks on the on the tribute album people did say i'm gonna copy it note for note and they did like a really good job of that you know yeah but i just i didn't i didn't want to do it that way well, that makes sense. That makes sense. As an yeah. artist, you want to put your own stamp on it. And um, did you play all the instruments on the track? Did you play drums on this track? I did, uh, except um, I fired myself from the job of bass player and brought in a guy named Jared Michael Nickerson, who I've worked with a lot over the past couple of years. And he's got a really beautiful style. And so, uh, he, it's Jared on the bass and I did everything else. All right, cool. Well, I look forward to hear. I'm going to seek that out because I love something, anything. And I didn't know that there was a tribute album coming out. So perfect. Yeah. It's right, right on the verge of coming out. All right, Marshall, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Let me tell people where they can find you. Uh, you're on Twitter at M Crenshaw and your website is marshallcrenshaw.com. Right. Okay. The new version of number 447 is coming out February 4th on CD, but you can get it now, digital download and on vinyl. And my last Correct. question for you is I always end the show with a playout song. So I ask the artist to pick any song from this album or any song from your entire career that you would like me to end the episode with. Oh boy. Tough. Well, can you do me a favor? And choose randomly 
or however you want to choose it, one of the bonus tracks because I can't pick which one I like the best. I love them both. All right, I will. Uh, I will do that. Let, tell you what, let's everybody enjoy Santa Fe. Okay, cool. That's a good one. No reason in your life to find And no thoughts left to call your own No light that's bright enough in darkness to atone My baby's left, she's gone away She says she's going to Santa Fe Thank you, Marshall. Thank you so much. It was great to see you again. You too. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.